Welcome to the March 2011 episode of the Harvard Medical Labcast, science that's changing your world. This podcast is brought to you by Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations in Boston. I'm Melissa Neller. And I'm David Cameron. This month, we'll talk about the relationship between itch and pain, and how this might apply to pain management. But first, we'll revisit an important scientific milestone. A draft sequence of the human genome was first published in 2001. On the 10th anniversary of this pivotal achievement, I had a chance to chat with David Altshuler, Harvard Medical School professor of genetics at Massachusetts General Hospital, who explained how the Human Genome Project has changed the landscape of biomedical research. I sat down with Altshuler in his office at the Broad Institute, where he's a founding member. Here's an excerpt from our discussion. We're here because the human genome has turned 10. And so my first question is, if one human year is seven dog years, how many scientific years have the last 10 years been? Oh, what a great question. On the one hand, the pace of science over these 10 years in genome science has been extraordinary. I don't know anyone in the field who doesn't feel that it's racing ahead faster than almost anyone can keep up. And on the other hand, there are certainly long-term goals that we have that still are very far off. If you ask the question that the Human Genome Project, in some sense, set out to answer, what are the contents of a human genome? What is the parts list of the human cell as encoded in the DNA? We've made spectacular progress on that. Similarly, if you go back, you'd say, what is the genetic inherited basis of disease? And every month, it's not even every year, it's actually every week, Journals come out with new insights into the genetic base of disease. On the other hand, if you say, how far are we from truly understanding the functioning of a cell or the basis of disease, let alone having better ways to diagnose and treat disease, those things take a long time. And certainly there is so much more to be done than has been done. So what have been some of the best insights into disease that we've seen so far? So in terms of talking about disease, let me divide into three categories. Okay. So first, there's inherited disease, the extent to which our disease is influenced by DNA variants we inherit from our parents. And that actually can be further subdivided into diseases that are almost entirely caused by genetics, rare diseases like cystic fibrosis or Tay-Sachs disease, and the common diseases like diabetes and heart attack and schizophrenia, which are influenced by many genes and the environment working together. Then there's also the genetics of cancer. And here, we have to think about not only the inherited risk of cancer, but mutations that occur in a cell to make it become a cancer, what are called acquired mutations. Okay. So you asked, what are some surprising and interesting results in the genetics of disease? If you go back 20 years, very few of the thousands of rare inherited genetic diseases were understood at the level of precisely what went wrong. Now, that type of knowledge that we had 20 years ago for a handful of genetic diseases, we now have today for thousands of these rare genetic diseases. In fact, the overwhelming majority of patients who would come in to a pediatrics clinic with an early onset inherited form of disease, the diagnosis can be made based on the understanding of the disease, and the doctor can explain, here's what went wrong. In common diseases... The problem is much harder because there are many genes, not just one, and there's environment as well. And here as well, now if you go back 10 years, we knew almost nothing about the inherited basis of common diseases. 
And over the last 10 years, using tools that are really unimaginable without the Genome Project, we've gotten literally a 1,000 new clues, specific findings in each disease that say there's a 1,000 of them across all disease, but for diabetes, a disease we work on, 40 new genes, not previously suspected as playing any role in diabetes. So this has changed really the whole way you look changed, at the disease. That's right. It's changed the whole way that the disease is understood. Okay. When people say, well, that's all well and good, but are there new therapies? My own thinking now after 25 years in this business is to say, first of all, no, there are no new therapies that are directly available because of that. But also, that's not an expectation that we should have. The most important part of the research that genomics does, in my view, is giving us insight into the underlying biology of cells and the biology of diseases. And that understanding of what goes wrong will be a platform, a foundation, on which to build the next generation of therapies that will be much more curative yeah. than the ones we have today. To build on that foundation will take decades. So then by that sort of timeline, we're in the childhood that's right. of, of no, this, this new era. And I think that, that that's actually the right metaphor. I would say we're 10 years into the genome era. I have actually a son who's 11. I have one, another one who's 13. So I look at my kids, and you can certainly see their personalities, and you can see their capabilities, and they're wonderful to be with, but you also realize that their full impact on the world will be in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, right. and that right. we take care of our children and invest in our children because we're making a new path for the next generation. And that, quite honestly, is how I think about genomics as an approach to medicine. It's not a quick fix. It's building a foundation of understanding and methods that over decades, when combined with lots of other approaches, should lead to more understanding of disease and hopefully, therefore, more effective interventions. It's not the idea of low-hanging fruit where there'll be some five-year quick-hit win in some area, but rather perhaps a more steady accumulation of understanding that overcomes what I think is one of the great challenges in medicine, which is we simply don't understand what causes most diseases and therefore, all efforts by doctors and pharmaceutical companies to reduce the burden of those diseases is based not on rational understanding and design, but on imperfect information and guesswork. Feeling around in the dark. It is feeling so around speak, in the yeah. dark. And something like 19 out of 20 drugs that enter the clinic for clinical testing in humans fail. And to me, that's a statement about our profound ignorance about the basis of disease. Because if you really understood why your car broke down, it wouldn't be the case that 19 out of 20 interventions you came up with would fail. Those are certainly sobering numbers to consider. Um, what will we be talking about 10 years from today? My hope is that 10 years from today, much of the discussion will not be about genetics and genomics at all. Sometimes success means no one even talks about what you did anymore. And I think that if we can put on a much firmer foundation using genetics as a lens, the underlying biology of these diseases, then we won't talk about the genetics anymore. We'll talk about what causes the diseases. I can't wait to have that conversation. Me too. I think that would be great. <laughs> All right. David Altshuler, thank you so much for doing this. It's a this. pleasure. Thank you. Think of the last time you itched. You might have scratched a patch of dry skin this winter, but probably stopped before your fingernails broke your skin. That's because too much scratching hurts, and in most people, pain suppresses itch. This is something scientists have known for decades, but the underlying neurobiology of how pain can mask an itch has, for the most part, been a black box. 
A recent study by Harvard Medical School researchers in the journal Neuron provides a big clue into this particular mystery of the itch. While tinkering with the neurochemistry of a cellular pathway associated with pain, the researchers created mice that couldn't stop itching. The behavior was unexpected, according to senior author Shufu Ma, who is a Harvard Medical School professor of neurobiology at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. The first thing we see, actually, is before we match all the pain behavior, we found those mice went crazy. They just scratching. They even developed skin lesions from all that scratching. Why didn't they stop? The scientists disrupted the chemical signaling of some of the animal's sensory neurons. Specifically, they could no longer produce a protein called VGLUT2, a molecule that helps send signals, including pain signals, from neurons to the central nervous system. As a result, the mice had a higher threshold for pain. Without pain to keep it in check, the urge to itch took over. Apparently, itch-sensing neurons do just fine without VGLUT2. The researchers hope that this serendipitous discovery will shed light on chronic itch conditions in people. For example, it could have implications for cancer patients who are being treated for extreme pain. Some of these patients receive morphine to make them more comfortable, and unfortunately, they often feel itchy after the opiate injections. The researchers envision future pain treatments free of this unfortunate side effect. Thanks for listening to the March episode. We'll conclude with a passage from David Altshuler's recent article in the magazine Technology Review. Knowledge of the human genome alone is not sufficient to cure disease. It will always be the case that creativity, hard work, and good fortune are needed to translate biological data into medical progress. This podcast is a production of Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations, and we'd love to hear your comments on this program. Visit our podcast website at podcast.hms.harvard.edu and tell us what you think or read what other listeners are saying. In order to learn more about Harvard Medical School, our academic and research programs, and our affiliated hospitals and research institutes, visit hms.harvard.edu.